0: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions,
1: and updates across the world of wrestling. To the
0: highway, in a brand new
1: day, gotta let it go, so fight. The a- Fast to to down, down. 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 I'm me- in
2: Welcome back to Open the VoiceGate for September 18th, 2020. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated feed on all podcast platforms, and applications. You can find us on Twitter at Open VoiceGate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes, go to Red Circle, and then you could click the red button and you could either do a one-time or recurring donations. Certainly not required, but we appreciate it and thanks to all those who have donated before. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, joined as always by Case Slow. In Case, we have one of the big shows in the year in the books for 2020. And at least for like the way that I'm feeling about this, and I know that we kind of have not shared like our deep opinions yet, Dragon Gate hit Grand Slam and, and Oda City Gymnasium. What were your thoughts?
0: It feels good, Mike, to have the big shows back. We obviously missed out on Dead or Alive, which is at the beginning of May every year. So instead of the big five this year of Dead or Alive, Kobe World, Dangerous Gate, Gate of Destiny, and Final Gate, we've got four big shows backloaded into the final three months of the year, or I guess four months of the year, with obviously Dangerous Gate here. November is Gate of Destiny and Kobe World, plus a big show in Sendai for Gate of Origin, and then Final Gate and Fukuoka at the end of the year. Uh, You know, since Dragon Gate came back, even in an empty arena setting with King of Gate, I think they have had consistently the best presentation. Of any wrestling company there is, when it comes to empty arena wrestling, and once they brought back fans on the Fourth of July, I think they have had the best limited capacity wrestling there is. To finally have a big show, to go a step bigger than Corken Hall, uh, Osaka Number Two, Kyoto KBS Hall, or Kobe Samba Hall, to have a big show in the books with limited capacity, and to see that it can still deliver to the high level that it delivered at. Mike, it's a good feeling. I I really really enjoy Dangerous Gate 2020.
2: Yeah, and it was something that maybe in comparison to like past Corkins or even like some Sunbo Hall shows, like I knew this show was here, and I wasn't necessarily like as jazzed as I've been in the past. And that's probably more so on me than how they loaded everything up and presented everything. But as soon as it turned to be the 21st, as soon as the show started. I watched. It. I managed to watch this thing entirely unspoiled. I know that you were watching it live, but as soon as like I sat down, pulled up the feed, and saw Oda City General Gymnasium, I was like, "All right, we're at we're in big show country. It's it's the big match, and it definitely felt that way." And even with the limited capacity, I mean, attendance was nine ninety six. Uh, they did say that they sold their ticket allotment for, however, they're going to set up for Oda Oda City Gymnasium like weeks ahead of time, so. It was a packed house. Dragon Gate's been able to manage the whole di- the, the issues with protocols and with fans relatively well in terms of getting crowd noise. And definitely, this was a building that they w- they knew what was going on here. Sometimes you got to hit a metal bin against a cage to get a noise, and a crowd just started chanting. But it, it definitely felt this way. And then you just up and down this card and look at my notes. I think that all, all together with how long they've been setting up this cage match because this cage match, from my understanding, and if I'm wrong please correct me, this was the Dead or Alive main event, that they just basically pushed back until they could do this at Odyssey Gymnasium so, everything like leading up to this like, they have had so much time to build it, and when, when the show was over, when we had the big farewell speech, and that was it it felt like everything was like on course, and then, just taking a look at the schedule, and how we were talking about this it's full steam ahead for a Dragon Gate, I don't know of other than I don't know how much like New Japan is really going to try to cram in their back half of the schedule. I know that Stardom is running pretty heavily too, and DDT, of course. I don't know if a company has as back of a schedule this year as Dragon Gate does, but this definitely felt like this the, the, the ignition's on, and they put the full f- pedal down to the floor with Dangerous Gate.
0: The only other comp in Japan is new japan the the only company in japan that is bigger than Gate? just because uh, of the g1 and then they're going to hit power struggle and then i mean I, a normal company would say hey let's shorten the tag league this year knowing new japan they will probably expand the tag league field 20 teams <laughs> 20 teams round robin tournament here we go uh but you know after the g1 they go into wrestle kingdom uh it's just a such a short distance between the two so that's really the only comp there is but yeah the the to your point the cage match has been built up the entire year i mean we've seen just with half of the participants involved in yamato kai and bb hulk that has been the only story that's been told from those three guys all year and then you have masada yoshina and Ata, who have been you know for almost a year now dealing with their story. And then big, our has kind of planted himself into both of those feuds at certain times. So this entire calendar year, we've had one core focus at the main event scene. And it has been the build to this cage match that takes place four months after it should have happened. And we finally blow off that. And then we get so many new directions, not only coming out of that cage match, but of this entire show uh, again, it's a show of the year contender just off the top before we break things down match by match. Mike, I, what do you want to do? Do you want to go from the cage match and move down the card? Do you want to start at the dark match? Uh, I'm leaving this completely up to you.
2: I think since we've kind of already talked about it and it's really the thing that takes all presidents, I think we should lead it off with the six-way steel cage match if that's good to you and just work our way back.
0: I would be more than happy to do that. I, I want to say before... You break down uh, the bulk of the cage match. I think we should say it up top just because they did such a good job. But Drangate J and Ho Ho Loon were on commentary. J did the first, I believe, three matches solo, and then Ho Ho joined him in the booth. I think it was for KZ versus Doi. J has become such a good commentator. It is awesome to see that Drangate has continued their pursuit of English uh, language commentary, even while Lenny Leonard and Larry Dallas are stuck in America. They've given Jay the ball, and he has done a really good job. He's speaking more confidently. He's speaking with a purpose. And, Mike, I I like to think that between the two of us, no one really knows more about Drangate than us, with the exception of Jay. And Jay knows ten times more than we do. He is truly an encyclopedic knowledge of all things Drangate, And he gets to, you know, give that knowledge a home in the commentary position. And it's just awesome to see Jay did such a great job of explaining the rules and the stakes of this cage match. Which, although I think the purpose of the Dragon Gate cage match is that it's actually a very accessible match that new fans can watch. I know uh, Rich and Joe of the Voice of Wrestling Flagship disagree. They like to... Come into it with an idea of the story. I look at it as an accessible match that if you've never seen this company before, you can watch this and you can have an idea of what the company is about. With that in mind, Jay did such a great job of explaining the rules and the stakes and why everything mattered. It's a job that most commentators could not do. There was a moment where he asked Ho Ho Loon uh, if he could explain the rules, and Ho Ho said very kindly, Actually, I don't really understand what's happening here. <laughs> And Jay Jay was able to recover and then did such a great job of explaining the rules. He was great throughout the entire show. So I just briefly wanted to mention the English announce team before we get into the show.
2: Yeah, and to my knowledge, this show will stay up at least with English commentary into perpetuity. They haven't been pulling off the English commentaries from the network, I've noticed. It will be up with like the with the native feed through the twenty eighth and there might be a chance that's pulled i don't know i haven't i was kind of surprised to see that none of the uh english commentary shows were really pulled so if you want a chance to like get in yeah it's because and and going along your point about point of entry of dragon gate because dragon gate is a very just laden promotion it's not like how new japan there's like the whole thing king of sports it's about battle dragon gate is about relationships in a lot of ways and it's a lot of interplay and having someone like jay front and center explaining this as the person who like i've called like the godfather of like the western dragon gate fans just because he's been through everything is so important and as someone who last week spent i think it was four minutes just breaking down each match and then over a thousand words in the preview it's an incredibly difficult thing to try to explain to outsiders And i think he knocked it out of the park here and then and I'm with you, but like the cage match, especially a cage match like this that isn't just everything at once, one that was delayed entry where you started off with uh, Kai and Shimizu and you started adding and people as you went along there, I think it's a great way to kind of get familiarized with things and, and even like the large video ahead of time. One of the longest videos I think they've ever done in company history. It's either this or like Tozawa's farewell video or the longest video. Mike,
0: is. I'm telling you, I watched the show live. Maybe it's just because I love the Tozawa video so much. There is no way Dragon has ever produced a video longer than the explanation of the cage match. That's fair. Watching live, it's 4 a.m. Central Time. I'm doing pretty well. I'm awake. I'm coherent. And then that video hits. And oh my
2: god, it was so long. A well-done video. Their their video production is second to none but lengthy. And it's something that with like a match like this and with stakes that have been built, built up like it, it's so important for them to do it. So briefly just talking about the stakes and the match itself. This was the six way cage match, the traditional one that traditionally happens in Nagoya for dead or alive this year. It happened in Tokyo because of COVID. We had six people in it this year and only six people have things at stake. It was Yamato, Kai, both of the Dragon Gate generation, Masato Yoshino, the lone Torimon generation member, and then the, th- the big three members of RED, Ada, BB Hulk, and Big R Shimizu. If you want a breakdown of the stipulations and all of that, it's probably best to go look at the preview, go look at the feed. It's basically everyone had stakes based on when they, if they were able to exit this match or if they lost. And the biggest stakes really were people leaving their units, mainly the R.E.D. members, and then Kai, uh, people having to defend the belts and Ada's situation, or Masato Yoshino, his only stipulation was he would have to do an immediate retirement, as, as Jay talked about on the show, and as the big theme in Dragon Gate this year has been, is the impending retirement of Masato Yoshino. So, is there anything else that you think we should touch on about this match before we get, get into breaking it down?
0: No, I think, like, every year... It was a cage match that delivered. I, I think the one in my mind that maybe isn't as high quality as the other ones is the 2017 cage where it was Yamato defending against Oliver Zerk, maybe with Antioch at that point, who knows? And I, that was just a build I didn't like. A match that I thought was I'm not going to say convoluted, given the given the match that we're just about to talk about, it would be improper for me to complain about a match for being convoluted. But it was it was the one where after it was over, I was like, eh okay, that was, that was fine. I mean, I, I liked it, but it wasn't the same, but the 2020 incarnation of this match, the most intricate stipulations they've ever had. I thought it was a smashing success. I thought everything from the opening portion of Kai in Shimizu onwards was beautifully done. And and I don't know if you want to hit, you know, the the landmark points uh, specifically Kai turning on Yamato, which was kind of the thing that set everything else in motion. I don't know how you want to go about this, but I just big picture love this match.
2: Yeah. I felt like this match for all of what it was, and other than the fact that there was stipulations based on if you left first or if you did not lose the match or just in general, I feel like that was really the only complex thing about this match, especially in comparison to like the crazy uh, double risk matches where you had to get a pinfall, then grab the flag. Like those were like, I I believe that was that berserk one you're talking about was the double risk match. So it's something where I feel like that this was, a pretty, as simple as Dragon Gate can make it for their cage match, knowing how complicated they like to be. But yeah, so the first two entrants were, uh, were Big R Shimizu, who his stipulations were if he lost the match, he would leave R.E.D., have to have a crew cut, and then revert to his old uh, rookie name of Ryotsu Shimizu, and Kai, who his stipulations were if he escaped first, he would join R.E.D., However, if he lost the match, he would be exiled from Dragon Gate permanently. And then like the, the, it, at that point, it was a whole lot of them. everyone kind of just biding time. The big thing was Kai was basically spawn camping on the flag, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> and it made a I, lot of sense. I
0: loved it so much. I want to know how Kai pitched that idea when they were going over the match of, guys, I've got an idea. I am going to stand in the corner while you guys do all of the work. And it it was so perfect. The camera kept on cutting back to Kai just hanging out atop the cage. It was such a great spot.
2: And it made sense because Kai, other than Ada, who needed to grab the first flag if he wanted to get through the match clean and, uh, clear, and, uh, clean and clear like without any uh, uh, risks, Kai was like, oh no, I don't want to leave the Dragon Gate Army, so I need someone else to grab this first flag. And as soon as they do... I'm going to take the flag myself, which, you know, made a whole lot of sense of his motivations. And that kind of was a big through point that happened throughout the match until Yamato hit the ring. So Yoshino and Hulk came in there. It, it it was something that when I say that Kai was spawn camping, he was up on the turnbuckle for a good solid, like seven minutes. <laughs> like, like this isn't like he was like going, Oh no, I can't do it. And that was it. And doing it a couple times, he sat up there for a good seven minutes. Cause I, I wrote down my notes, and I wrote down like entry order, just because it was a staggered entry. First two started off, then five minutes we had Yoshino, then we had four minutes before Hulk came in, and then three minutes before both Yamato and then three minutes for Ada. So he sent he spent basically the entire time. As, as soon as Yoshino got in the match, he was up on that turnbuckle until Yamato came out, which was just brilliant stuff. They're like, okay, he's this dedicated here, like playing into the thing of that he did not want to have to turn heel. And then soon as Yamato came in, and boy, was that a well-executed turn with ending with Kai escaping first and turning heel, enjoying R.E.D. So Yamato
0: hits the ring, and Kai is at this point on the canvas. He's finally removed himself from the top of the cage, and Kai is telling Yamato to round third. I mean, that windmill is so strong. He's so excited for Yamato to get the first flag, He meets him at the top of the cage. Commentary does a good job of saying, well, well, Kai's just trying to protect Yamato. You know, Red is coming after him. Kai wants to be there to defend him. And then there's, there's really one moment in this show and it's the Kai turn where the lack of vocal crowd reactions were disappointing because the Kai turn is so slow. Yamato is just at the flagpole hand on the flag and Kai is trying to get his weapon of choice from, I believe it was Hyo, who had. A what was he? Okay, thing. I was like, it's like a drum, like a steel drum. I wasn't entirely sure what it was. <laughs> and Kai's trying to get it around his neck, and then he finally does. And then he and Yamato make eye contact. And it was so slow that I could only imagine the shrieks from the Yamato fans and the crowd had this been under normal circumstances, but it was so slow that it was effective. I think had the turn happened five seconds sooner, it would have been like, Oh, that was weird timing. Like that just, that took too long to get going. But Kai intentionally or not milked every single second of it. And then it hit Yamato over the head with whatever it was. And then grabbed his flag, joined RED and had that shitty eating grin on his face for the rest of the, uh, rest of the match as he's outside and is handed an RED t-shirt, which he proudly puts on. The heel turn of Kai. Oh my god, it ruled so much. I, I'm so glad that Kai I, I never thought I would say this I'm so glad that Kai has found a home in
2: Dragon Gate because it really works And it's something that as soon as he came out Kai had theme music for the first time and I was like, oh it's a big match thing. So he's sticking around. Kai is not losing this match and the way that he milked it, because you might actually be underselling it. So it took a while for them to wait for Hyo to get up in the cage with his wash basin. And then he knocks down Hyo, grabs the wash basin, puts it around his neck. And then the two of them lock eyes for about a good 10 seconds of them going like, what's going to happen here. And then he clocks him and then soaks it in for a good five seconds for taking the flag going. Yeah, I was waiting this entire time. To hit this asshole with the wash basin and turn on him. Excellent stuff.
0: And it, it's one of those things that defies the wrestling stereotype of you know turning on a partner mid-match where typically it's like, okay, so you're fighting your opponents for 15 minutes that you're just about to join up with. Like, what's the point in that? This was immediate. This was Yamato's first interaction in the cage was again, he slides in the ring, and Kai is giving him that big round third go home thing. And then, you know, it, it doesn't happen from there. It gets turned on, and it's a real bummer.
2: Yeah, and then... And this happened, and this was actually being real effective. So, by Kai taking this flag immediately before Ada getting in here, Ada now, his first tile defense of so the opening Dream Gate title, has to be against the uh, Dragon Gate generation, since he would not escape first. Then we had Ada come in, and Ada had himself a barbed wire board. <laughs> we know Shingo Takagi was a big F&W head, but... Boy, that barbed wire board looked gnarly, and it ended up being gnarly post-match.
0: It was shoot barbed wire. It was disgusting. I mean, at least Shingo, who has the grossest fetish for FMW ever, at least Shingo, it's like almost FMW cosplay. Yamato, or I'm sorry, Ada just took the most vicious parts of FMW and said, we are putting this in the cage match.
2: Yeah, yeah, no. And he had this barbed wire board that he left on the side of the cage, and he didn't even enter the cage. He just left it on the side of the cage. And then we soon after that we had uh, Kai cementing the heel turn by making sure that Hulk got out second, and then Hulk moved because the, he got his rope because much like the Boondock Saints, uh, BB Hulk needs his rope and he moved it across the ring. It, no, he moved another flag across the ring because he tied his rope up against one of the uh, one of the bridges that they have for the cage, and then from there it all kind of just went kind of insane. Binke had a frying pan. Like the bizarre Weapon of the Year, Bin K a frying pan. No reason why, no justification, he just had a frying pan.
0: This is something in the Voices of Wrestling Slack, the people that were watching this show live, as soon, I think there were four people watching live, as soon as Bin K showed up with the frying pan, immediately all four people messaged, oh my god, Bin K has a frying pan with
2: him. <laughs> weapon of the Year. You know
0: it I mean, was so simple it was exactly <laughs> what he needed to bring to this match you know people are trying to bring jugs guns and bazookas and air hordes just bring a frying
2: pan it works yeah yeah the, the, the other great weapon was uh, and another smart thing of you have a crowd that you really you know mean they could clap and there was like verbal responses to some things on the show that wasn't supposed to be but you know Dragon gate fans that they, they, they're gonna respond to stuff like that's the one thing I'll say about if you're entering Dragon Gate now and you're wary because of, oh, crowds can't get really hooting and hollering. They react to stuff regardless. Like, it's not one of those things where you to do like the stomp, stomp, clap thing to kind of get them into it. But having KZ with a freaking air horn just blaring into people's ears the entire time was a blast as well.
0: Yeah, it's... uh. It's something that, you know, I, I like to say the Dragon Gate wrestlers are the best roster in the world. Nobody can do what they do. I have now learned that the Dragon Gate roster could not hang with the CCW crowds. They were very <laughs> affected by these air horns in a way that was almost concerning. Uh, KZ did more damage on the outside than anybody else simply by shoving air horns in people's ears and I guess making them, making them feel his wrath. It was really an effective weapon.
2: It, it really was. And then... Well, then we had Yamato escape, Yamato escaping. So Hulk's escape meant that he did not have to leave R.E.D. He did not have to go back to being a young boy that he never was. BB Hulk, as we talked about last show, never had a young boy phase. He was immediately BB Hulk. He no longer has to train with Misaki Mochizuki, which I'm kind of sad about because that would have been fun. And then Yamato escaped, so he's not going to be a Hiroshi Yamato parody, which I have to imagine the drag the Torimon army was a little bummed that this did not happen because that was really an inspired uh, risk acquire from those two
0: yeah the Hulk uh stipulations there was no shot of that happening Hulk was the one we knew would be safe no matter what the Yamato was very unlikely but I think you and I both came to the conclusion like man it would be really fun if this happened to Yamato (laughs) like it maybe wouldn't have these drastic ramifications that you typically want from this cage match but if it did happen I mean I'd like to see it it would be a nice change of pace
2: yeah no it was one of those things I was like hey he's only doing Mike the opening Mike section and for the rest of the year that's not a big deal and then I mean, the fact that they're, that, I mean, like, he's a man who, a lot of his charisma is defined by him having a luscious head of hair, and him having to, like, straighten it each show would have been really funny. And then, of course, wearing a bathrobe instead of an entrance uh, cape would have been tremendous as well. Yeah, and
0: then we were down to what at that point? It was Ada, Shimizu, and Yoshino were the, those were the final three left.
2: Yes, those were the final three, which were the final three that I was kind of expecting, but I did not expect this finish. Of course, Yoshino stipulations where he had to retire, uh, with, uh, ada if he lost he would have to join re he would have to leave red and join the dragon gate army and then you had shimizu who would have to leave red get a crew cut and go back to ryotsu shimizu and then from there that's when really the big hijinks kind of started to happen there was like one really funny thing where shimizu was going for his top rope splash and he was teasing Going for it, but instead went for his flag, and like Ada was just like, "No, you dipshit! I'm not leaving you. I'm not letting you leave me here with Yoshino." And I thought that that was really kind of funny. And then it was just like There was a moment where it was both Yoshino and Ada going for the flag. Ishida came up with a huge bucket of flour, like probably way too much flour. To be fair, like like they love doing like like powder shots and things like this in Dragon Gate, but. That was as much I'm like, oh, I feel bad for the kids having to clean up the ring afterwards because it was about a bucket full of flour. It stuck to Yoshino in a
0: way that it it just – I've never seen anything like it before. 20 minutes after he got hit, he was still
2: drenched in this powder. I, I mean, to be fair, it's not like that they were like, oh, here are some baby wipes here's some baby wipes, you know, it's no, typically I would think they would at least sweat it off though. mean, I've seen
0: powder attacks that, you know, go according to plan that are nailed. And, you know, after, after a minute, it's like, okay, we figured it out. Yoshino cutting this emotional post-match promo and he's still just covered in it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that led to Ada's escape that left us for Shimizu versus Ada at this time. Then, uh, shimizu was going for a flag someone tossed a bucket of balls of baseballs into yoshino which i have to think was like a nod and wink at me because he absolutely just, he perc- he proceeded to light up shimizu's back and lower regions with baseballs great he's throwing still great heat at 40
0: oh god yoshino still got his fastball i mean he is in many ways Masao yoshino is the nolan ryan of dragon gate in many ways and what is that even as he ages his fastball is just as strong as ever
2: yeah, it's not going to be as fastball going off for Masato Yoshino, much like Nolan Ryan's fastball, who uh, legend has it still can throw 100 miles per
0: hour. I Just, 100% believe that. I 100% believe that.
2: So slight uh, Texas baseball tangent: uh, the old uh, ballpark in Arlington, please, uh, or well, forever called the real stadium that Texas played at. Uh, they would have like the Texas Baseball Hall of Fame thing, and what they would have there, and I don't know like who's idea to build this. But this was insane. Is They had a simulation of what would it feel like to catch a Nolan Ryan fastball, where you basically stick your head and your body, your torso, into, like, the screened area, and they had, like, a special glove that you put your hand into, and then I guess, like, they just had, like, a piston fire into the glove at 100 miles per hour, because in Texas, safety is just an illusion, so that's
0: OK. I'm glad you finished with that, because I was like, there's no way in the Midwest this gets past any sort of lawyer team, any sort of safety analyst. Like, there's just no way this happens. But if you want to fly me down to Texas, Mike, I'd love to take a shot at this.
2: I mean, it's one of those things that it I don't know if it exists in the barn, the new place in the barn, but it's something that when I did it as a kid, no greater pain and Yelps. Like, parents were like, no, kids, you got to go catch Nolan Ryan's fastball. You got to deal with this. So like, imagining, like, the, the, the feeling that it must felt for a big arm Shimizu to be pelted to these baseballs. And then we had Yoshino pretty much lock him into the Sol Naciente for a solid minute and a half. And then that brought out R.E.D. They attacked Mr. Nakazawa, got into the cage, piled every single chair that they had underneath the ring and uh and and then set it up for ada's been pile driving yoshino on the chair ever since he 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 said he's retiring and then they removed all the chairs which is a wild thing like you don't have to remove the weapons in this match no one's going to care with this which was kind of funny but that set up to the big moment in case i want you to take us to this moment because we've been trying to figure out when the last time something like this happened
0: well the savior of, of everything I, am i am i right in the timeline here is yes. this the is this the ultimo uh run in yes yes okay just just making sure i got i got lost in my own notes and i just wanted to double check yeah ultimo comes in and hits an aside ddt on Shimazu, and in one fell swoop makes every single moment of confusion and and angst, and anxiety, and frustration in the past year that Ultimo has been in the company. It was all worth it for this moment. This was a a beautiful moment where I think the cynical part of me wants to chalk it up to another Ultimo ego boost, but really this was the perfect story to tell. With Ultimo saving his student, saving Yoshino, saving the face of this company, coming down, hitting a move he has not hit, at least in Dragon Gate, it's probably been... 5 years and maybe it was in all Japan the last time he did it. He hits it perfectly and Ultimo
2: comes down and makes such a terrific save. And I, I I did not think of any like pessimism when I saw this or selfishness of Ultimo because dating back to the spring of 2019 when Yoshino had the wish for the 20th anniversary show and that was for the principal the uh leader of the Dragon System, Ultimo Dragon Return to Dragon Gate. This, that was, like, his number one thing throughout the year was having this happen. And they clearly positioned him as the prize pupil of Ultimo Dragon. So, the idea that he came in and was saved, and he, he decided to step in this as someone who's not really participated in the Generation War whatsoever. Ultimo going, like, no, this is my guy. I'm coming out here, I'm saving him. And doing a move that, like, he he hasn't even teased Asai DT. The Asai Moonsault, yes, he teases he teased that a lot. He stopped teasing that, I've noticed, which is kind of funny. It's a, it's a bummer because I he could get away with
0: teasing that move in every match for the rest of his career, and I'm still going to buy it as this is the time he's going to do it. It's almost one that I hope he never pays off. He has to pay it off in his retirement match if he's
2: going to because I bite every single time he teases that moonsault. And how can't you? I mean, it's one of those things that seeing him do this, like seeing him doing the side DT, and especially like doing something that is so like – insane is just intense like intense like emotional moment just like kind of overwhelming then that happened and of course Dragon Gate understanding these moments had let's get uh, it, they let it breathe for a second and then Yoshino crawls up climbs up the cage barely like being able to do so and after 40 minutes he, or after 35 minutes pardon me he escapes the cage and then we have the uh, final results as per match stipulations, by escaping first, as we talked about earlier, Kai has joined R.E.D. Quite gladly, he has. Number two, Ada's first Dreamgate title defense will be against a member of the Dragon Gate generation, and that's going to be a real interesting thing to talk about looking forward. And then the big stipulation. Number three, by losing this match, Big Archimizu was kicked out of R.E.D. He must have a crew cut, and he reverts to his former name, the name he uses as rookie. This, I know some people are saying this like his real name. This is not Big R Shimizu's real name. This is just the, the name he debuted under, Ryotsu Shimizu. And then w- after that, we should get into the post-match because it got wild.
0: I will say quickly before we get into the post-match, later on in this episode, we will do more lore about the Big R character because there's some stuff that just came out that pertains to the foundation of the Big R gimmick, and now we come full circle as he loses the Big R moniker. I should say real quick, and it's my fault because I got lost in the notes as Mike was Mike was going along. The final, I don't know, probably 10 minutes of this match, Ada's escape onwards was so perfectly done. And it specifically happened because Ada's escape was perfectly timed. As soon as Ada grabbed that flag, everybody I know that was watching the show and I felt it with the live crowd too was like, oh, okay, all right, this could happen. Because I think if it came down to Yoshino and Eita, I although the stakes are higher with Eita than they are Shimizu, I think wrestling logic tells us that Eita is going to be the one to lose. Mm-hmm. But when it's Yoshino and Shimizu, there was just a very real uh, aura that set in like, oh my God, this could be Yoshino's last match. And me, I'm panicking because I'm working on a big Masada Yoshino <laughs> article right now. And I'm like, I I'm not done. I'm not done. I don't have time. I'm not going to be able to finish it. <laughs> you,
2: you, you know what? I had the moment of, Boy, I'm glad I got my my, my questions back to case on Friday night knowing that this might happen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was, I, you know, I, I had this, I've been working on this article for a while now with the idea that it will be able to sit in my documents until, well, I was thinking until November. Now it might be longer when he actually retires. And then I'm scrambling. I'm like pulling up the, the article as the cage match is going on. Like, do I need to finish this right now? What's going to happen? Like, I wanted this to be really timely when he actually retires. And, you know, outside of, of my dumb article, there was just a very real sense of drama with Shimizu and Eita w- removing Ultimo from the equation entirely The the final escape of this match was just done perfectly. You know, the cage match is full of gimmicks and wackiness and this and that, but at the core of it is professional wrestling storytelling that you just do not find in most companies. I mean, we're talking high level new Japan stuff when AEW really clicks. I think they are on a similar level but this was just wrestling drama the way it should be. It was so well done. And the catalyst was Aita grabbing the flag when he did. And then, like we talked about, you have the big moment with Ultimo, Yoshino escapes, and then we get into the post-match.
2: Yeah, so post-match, Aita, who's been at Shimizu pretty much off and on since R.E.D. became a thing. Like, they've been tag team partners, they've been Gate champions, but one of the big, like, through lines in R.E.D. has been the fact that Ada thinks that Shimizu is not fulfilling his role. He's not up to his station. He had a huge losing streak leading up until COVID, and then he started getting wins, and Ada was like, you're winning with flash pins. You should be winning with better. And that was, like, the big thing is, like, he was pissed that that Shimizu changed the entry order so that Yoshino went third, and then Ada, for being such an asshole, got put sixth. And then R.E.D. just... He's no longer a member of R.E.D. They attacked him. They started to shave his head, and then they brought the barbed wire board in. But instead of having R.E.D. throw Big R Shimizu into the board, it was, R- it was Shimizu throwing Ada through the board and Ada taking a hellacious bump, the most brutal bump of the night, easily. And bleeding from his back and being carried out by Kai and Shimizu in the ring, kind of collecting himself as then the, the Toriman generation celebrated the fact that for another day, Masato Yoshino remains an active professional wrestler. You know what's crazy about the Ada barbed wire
0: spot is that I heard a few weeks before this match, I saw a picture of Ata literally building this barbed wire board. He made it and he decided to take real barbed wire and then take the bump that he did. I mean, I I am blown away by that because it is a gnarly bump on cut barbed wire, but his back was so cut up by the time he hit his feet. Uh, props to ADA, you know we we have complained since we started doing this show about how lazy ADA can be sometimes, but he put 110 effort into that spot.
2: Yeah, and it's something that is so remarkable that he has done this and this was something where I I know I was anticipating this. I think you and as well as John who joined us with the written preview. When, like, I gave out my percentages for this, I was expecting about 40% Ada was going to turn face. He was going to leave R.E.D. And he was going to save Yoshino. Instead, it was Ultimo and in such a fantastic manner. And then Shimizu. I think we before we get into the Yoshino things, Shimizu came out of this a lot better than I, I was expecting. I had him at 10%. I was like, oh, if you turn Shimizu basically into his rookie character, that might be it. But it does not seem like he's going... Back to the anime character that he did before. It looks like he's just going back to that name, taking that theme, having the haircut, and he looks like I think he's going to be a brand new man. At least he's given the opportunity to. We'll see how that goes.
0: I am elated at the result of this match in the future of Shimizu, because as I will continue to say, when Shimizu was on, when we're talking 2016-2017 Shimizu, I legitimately think in terms of match quality... He can be a top 10 guy in the world. I think he was a top 10 guy in the world in 2016 and for most of 2017. This gimmick, it looked like he was having the time of his life doing it, but his matches suffered as a result. And I think it bled into the way fans perceived him that he was no longer the dangerous killer that he should be. And I think as you go forward with a new gimmick, with a new name, with new gear, I think he's gonna be
2: all right. I'm really excited about the future of the now Ryotsu Shimazu. And really, what I hope this is, and at least they're going, to, I think they're going to give him every opportunity to this. The and this is fitting for him. The shot put ball has been given to him. Like if if he's going to pull this off, it's going to be all on him. There's not going to be like the bullying that's happened in the promotion in the past. It's not going to be like people trying to come off his knees it looks like they're giving him an honest shot to be a guy and try to reclaim where he was at the tail end of Monster Express, how he came in as a rookie as soon as he joined Dia Hearts, and maybe a little bit into Maximum before things really started to go downhill for him, and that's not even to mention how he kind of became just a buffoon. And if he's able to pull this off, I think that the company is going to give him all the faith in the world, but it's going to be Ryotsu Shimizu, who's going to be the one who has to take the ball and shot put slam it through the ring.
0: First of all, great analogy, Mike. Well done. That is that is why we go to broadcasting school to nail the shot put analogy there. The the thing with Shimizu is that he, in a true sense, has been established as a legitimate upper mid Carter because we look at Shimizu as a guy that is pushed, that is protected to an extent, and as someone that poses a threat to a majority of the roster. But if you look at his career, he's never really... Been able to take that next step in his career. He's only had one Dreamgate title match, and that was on a Memorial Gate show in 2018 when he wrestled Mochizuki. He's never been able to evolve and expand past his current role, which, given how Big R started, he was, you know, he became Big R Shimizu in October of 2014. He won the Open the Triangle Gate title in December of 2014. So he was pushed off the bat with that gimmick. And then never was really able to elevate him. We're talking about a a twin gate champion, a triangle gate uh, champion multiple times for both titles. And he needs that next step. We need to at least see what he's like as a possible legitimate main event player. And if that push is ever
2: going to happen, it is with this angle and it is right now. Yeah. And it's something that it takes you back to 2015 in a lot of ways, I would say, even before Hearts uh, broke up, just the way he was presented and the way that, in this entire thing, he was the one getting all the falls. He was pushed into a uh, open the Dreamgate title contendership tournament in the Jan- in January of 2015 when he was less than two years, if that. I mean, really mo- much less than that. But like, he was someone that they had a lot of faith in very early on in his career, and now it's going to be an interesting thing because. He even after like the, the issues, I mean, just to get out of here. Big R Shimizu, at least before, was not known as like being uh, which I think the nicest way of putting it in this case. Uh, the I think I've, the word you're looking. Oh, go ahead. I think you figured it out. He's not a guy who thinks through his actions, you know, and that both <laughs> acts through his the things that he got hit on in some of his promos. He has dropped his legitimate name before revealing his real name. And that he got made fun of for that. He was someone that lot left gear. That was a big issue there. And then the biggest thing was, so he turned heel and joined Antios. And it was supposed to be like this big thing because this is when young Antios was a thing. And before all this stuff happened there. And it was built up as like, okay, now Shimizu is a heel. So he comes out on the next TV show, enters the ring, and trips up in the ropes. Like just was not watching his feet and tripped through the ropes. And Shingo Takaki just laid into him. And ever since, and that's then, like one of
0: Shingo's last shows as well. That's like Shingo's defining going away gift with Shimizu messing up in front of him one more time.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it, it's one of those things that hopefully with all of this, I mean, like we're talking about, like I remember this happened because he turned during a Twin Gate match with him and Noruki Doi challenging BB Hulk and Yamato joining antios and there was like this big it was a big 10-man tag the next taping and uh in osaki edion too where since he turned on maximum he was going up against maximum and it was big arshimizu Ata shingo takagi and takashi yoshida and as soon as he went through the ropes he tripped up and the look on shingo's face looked like he was someone that was going to kill so I think we've
0: established Shimizu and I guess his new direction. And we'll get a better sense of that next week uh, after he wrestles on Kobe Sambo Hall. But it, it is clear. I mean, it's by stipulation that Ata now has to defend his title against a member of the Dragon Gate generation. Mike, I asked you a month and a half out from gate of destiny, which is the next big show. Are we getting Ata versus Shimizu or is there another name that jumps out at you? I mean, is not a member of the Dragon Gate Generation. No, he's not. He's currently unaffiliated. But given unit warfare, I would think they would have to pick him up at some point. But you're right. Currently, he is unaffiliated.
2: I, I think it has to be KZ. I think that with the way that they've pushed KZ and the idea that you're going to need a big show happening in Osaka Edeon 1, I think KZ is the pick there. I mean, unless you want to have like Ada defeat Yamato and then KZ get the Kobe world spot. I think that like that that's kind of like the hand's been forced a little bit, so it's just something where it's just it, it's going to be interesting. I I think, and I was waiting to see if some news might have come in about this, but I think that over the like the next few months he can do like a wilderness wandering thing as everything is uh, kind of uh, finishing up with the unit warfare.
0: So. I, I think if Ada holds the belt for any prolonged period of time, we will get the Yamato defense. That seems like a given. Obviously they have been building towards Ada versus Yoshino all year. Now, given the post-match promo and Saito and Doi encouraging Yoshino to continue wrestling because of COVID, he was able to take four months off. Some fans didn't get to see him in their towns. They want Yoshino to extend his career at least slightly. So I don't know what to do. Cause my working theory was Ada versus Yoshino at Gate of Destiny and the Yoshino farewell at Kobe World. Now it looks like we might not have that, and I don't know if we have enough information to have that full-on Yoshino discussion yet. It's just rumors that are circulating literally on the roster. I mean, I don't know anything that you don't. We just know from the post-match promo that there's at least talk of Yoshino extending his career, so we're now, at least in my mind, I'm trying to recalibrate to figure out what the Kobe World main event could be, and whether it is at Gate of Destiny or whether it is at Kobe World, because I think it's a match big enough to be a proper main event for either show, while KZ seems like the obvious challenger given his victory over Doi on this show, you also have to remember that Ada versus Ben K., is a possibility. It's a match that has, you know, if you take out the dark matches and a, a next match that happened when Ben K was Futa Nakamura as a young boy, it's the match that has really only happened twice. It was the King of gate finals last year, which Ben K won. And it was the second round of King of gate this year. in which eight won. those are, you know, the prized pupils of this new generation. That match is big enough to obviously headline gate of destiny I honestly think it could be a Kobe world main event as well. And they are one, one in their series. So while people are jumping to KZ and rightfully so, and they are speculating Shimizu and rightfully so, I think Ben K's name needs to be in the mix as well.
2: Yeah. And I mean, he's someone that now is clearly like, he's taken a lot of falls lately, but they could build him back up. He's a former Dreamgate champion. He just dropped the triangle gate, so you're not, like, having issues where a champ, where you're not going to have two title matches because one of the champions is challenging for something else. And with the capacity thing, and to my knowledge that there's going to be, like, a lifting of a restriction so that it will be 50% of capacity in a lot of these places. So I think that that's going to be something that will help out here. I think that half capacity, you don't have a problem with that at Kobe World I do think if you do that you're going to have to load up the undercard a little bit to be fair, but I can see that happening.
0: Probably. I mean, it, they could bill it as uh, assuming Yoshino doesn't wrestle too far into next year, they could also still bill it as Yoshino's final Kobe World, but maybe he right. just doesn't headline. So we'll have to see. And and you are right in that and I had not thought of that before I made my point, but Benkei not only lost the Triangle Gate Belt, he was pinned by Kosma Sakamoto to lose the belts. So he does have that going for him, but it's also Dragon Gate booking and sometimes the loss can really be an elevation. But I just, I had not seen a lot of people throwing his name out there, but it would make sense if they went back to that match one more time.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, with the y- Yoshino, the big thing coming out of the main event was Doi and Sireo saying, hey, we lost four months. Don't you think he could add four months back? And, you know, like retirements are never like firm retirements until they happen. Come on, Yoshino. Yoshino was like, I'll consider it. <laughs> Which was very kind of funny, like his way of going, like, yeah, I know, I know, I'll consider it. But it's also it's like, guys, I just went through this match and defended my career. Can I please get a moment of peace? <laughs> yeah, so so we'll
0: see. Like I said, I don't I just I don't have a good feel for this situation at all. I don't really know what they're gonna do. I think now that it's out in the open, I think they kind of have to do it. Mm-hmm. But that is a discussion that we will have, I think, once we get a little bit more information.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, and I've been saying this all year, the way it's been described to me, and I think it's been described to you, but the exact same way was that as long as he could wrestle, Masato Yoshino was going to wrestle through 2020. And, I mean, he was able to do a lot of stuff in this match and maybe had him going like, hey, we lost four months. I think I should still go for four more months. And then, I mean, that will also let him get some chance, not necessarily to have it at the Aichi Brickford prefectorial gym but have some sort of farewell and a bigger show in nagoya as well
0: mike cage match 2020 your star rating
2: i hate rating these damn matches
0: (laughs) i know they're tough but mike we're taking a stand we are going to rate these matches
2: okay so i'm going to couch this with on my match recommendations and my match recommendations you can find my pen tweet i do this for every tell show i have three rankings or you're not listed the rankings go uh, should watch, must watch, and assist an essential watch. This is an essential watch match. That being said, four stars.
0: Interesting. I think that's very fair. When I first watched this match, I had it at four stars as well. I was typing up my review, which I believe by the time this show comes out will be up at voiceofwrestling.com. I was typing up my review on Tuesday and I sat with it and I talked about how much I liked the final three eliminations. I thought the Kai turn was done so well. I thought it was fitting of a Dragon Gate cage match, even without the vocal crowd reactions, four and a half stars.
2: Okay, you, you know, like really, this is the match where you have the widest like breadth of who, how you're going to rate this. Like, so I can understand even if you're someone that's like parachuting in, you're like, what is this, and not getting it. But it's something like where, like with the like having to rate this match, I have to rate it against all the other Dragon Gate cage matches, and this was a very good one. It was not one of the ones where I felt like it was kind of like a okay, but it's not up there at the all-time grades. So, I think, like, four-star cage match, and that has it as, like, my third best match on the show. <laughs> so, that uh, this is... It, it's not that I was un- under... Uh, I was one by this match. It's just that I look back at history for it, and as effective as this match was, there's other cage matches that we've talked about in weeks past that I feel like were stronger cage matches.
0: Mike, that was a lot of time spent on a match that deserved that much time. I am now out of thoughts on the cage match. Do you have anything (laughs) else you want to add?
2: No, let's start working our way back then. The uh, semi-main event of this show was for the Open the Twin Gate titles. This was a Dragon Gate generation versus Torimon generation as Kota Minnur and Jason Lee had their first defense against Asumi Yokosuka and Dragon Kid. It was Jason Lee getting the pinfall in this match with the Hong Kong Tornado in 20 minutes and 14 seconds on dragon kid this was the first successful match or defense of the twin gate titles for this team and this was my match of the night i thought that this was exceptional i went four and a half stars on this i felt like that this was a match that they really like i know that i like said this like this this team has really come together and it's very like inventive way but this is the title reign that i feel like will be like whatever else happens with jason lee and i hope he has like a long career. This is them giving like we talked about giving the shot putt to Big o- R or, or to Ryotsu, Shimizu. This was basically saying, here's your time here. And Jason Lee in this like made him he- make like all the effort that they put into entrusting him pay off in a major way. I went four and a half stars on this match.
0: You liked this a lot more than I did and I and I really like this match. But it it was not I gave it three and three quarters off the bat, which is very good to great. I'm not gonna call it a great match though. What I will say is that I think there was an individually great performance in this match from a guy that has done this before. That I don't necessarily think it's the credit for it that he deserves. And we'll talk about a match a few a few matches down the card that I think maybe fed in and bled in to a lot of the Dragon Gate stereotypes that people who might not and watch the product all that closely have. But Dragon Kid seems to have this ability to really slow down matches at times Mm. and to make the most of it. And this was, I I mean, this was closer to a Southern-style tag match than it was any sort of real, you know, classic, you know, she.
1: In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, "Ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, Off Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net, arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.
0: ...Ricochet versus Pac and Dragon Kid. This was not that match. This was a match where Coach Menorah and Jason Lee both sold a ton taking a lot of heat from Dragon Kid And I think by the end, the victory, the offensive flurry with the Maximum Driver and the Hong Kong Tornado from Jason Lee, I think it stood out more than had they just worked the traditional Dragon Gate tag structure. So Dragon Kid, although I I did not love this match as much as you, I thought his individual performance guiding these two younger, I'm not going to call them inexperienced, but younger wrestlers to a a thought-provoking and intriguing and intricate match, was a huge win just in terms of performance
2: yeah and i think a thing that needs to be kept in mind here is that this is and dragon kid team like when they came together we were talking about wow this person or this tag team is just they've never really teamed together and they came together really well and i think that was like a reason that I was like okay what is going to be 20 minutes of this match and it ended up at least for me it hit that particular spot and especially for someone that like I feel like that ever since he's been in the promotion, Jason Lee has been one of my favorite wrestlers in it, getting his opportunity to really showcase it and getting both, not only like giving the maximum driver, like you said, and hitting the Hong Kong tornado, but kicking out of big stuff. Like there were three in a row Jumbo Nokachis before like he got uh, Susumu out of the ring. Like he took a lot and he came out of this. I felt like looking like an absolute star.
0: Mike, I'm ready to have a conversation about Kota Minoru. Are you strapped in for some statistics? All right, let's do it. So, and I, I expand on this, I guess a little bit of my Voices of Wrestling review. I'm going to reiterate some of the same points. But Kota Minoru came into this company, his debut July 5th, 2018 in Cork and Hall. Minoru debuted as a Black Tights young boy, but... Soon after, got gear, got a gimmick, found himself in Mochizuki Dojo after he walked into the middle of the ring in Corcutt Hall, slapped Masaki Mochizuki in the face, and then received a roundhouse kick for his troubles. <laughs> the thing with Minora. God, I love is that, that angle. <laughs> <laughs> it was the most effective booking I've ever seen. It was su- such a great story told of Masaki Mochizuki killing a man. But the thing with Minora. And it ultimately, I think, falls on us a little bit, the the Dragon Gate press, if you will. I think we've been a little bit unfair and have truly underrated his talent, because the thing with Minora is that he debuted, sandwiched in between the class of 2016, and Benkei, and Shun Skywalker, and Yuki Yoshioka, and then... Yes, he had two other debuts shortly after his Dragon Dia's in November of 2018, Strong Machine J in April of 2019. But Dia and J's debuts were these hyped things. I mean, when Dragon Dia came into the company, that was a big deal. When Strong Machine J was signed, there was an emergency press conference that was held and we thought like the company was folding. We did not know what was happening. And then they're like, we signed this kid. He's going to be fine. Here's his dad. KY Yakamatsu's here. It's it, it'll be fun. I promise. And then after <laughs> those, you get into the class of 2020 and Kabuna and Kamai and Fujikawa and Kakuta. So Minoru was sandwiched in between a lot of hype debuts. And because he didn't have a produced debut, like Daya or strong machine J because he wasn't really in a class of rookies that came in and killed it all together. It also, because he assimilated himself to the roster so quickly that he was six months into he, into his career wrestling like a guy that had been there for years already. I think we just got very used to the excellent nature of Kota Menorah. But if you look at, how long it took guys after their debut to win their first championship in this company, and I am specifically comparing Coach Menorah with everyone from the Millennials generation onward. So we're talking T-Hawk Eta Maria UT. we're talking Ryotsu Shimizu and Al Lindeman, and then Kaito Ishida, uh, Takahiro Yamamura has never held a title in wrestling, which is uh, just the worst possible case scenario for his career occurred. But between the Millennials, Ishida, the class of 2016, with Ben K, Skywalker, Yo, Yoshioka, and then his 2018-2019 contemporaries, Mike, it took Coach Menorah 759 days from July 5th, 2018 to August 2nd, 2020 to win his first title. We're talking just over two years. For comparison, a guy ranked much lower on the roster than him. Yo, it took him 1,219 days for him to win his first title. If you look at the other members that are still on the roster from the class of 2016, which is unfortunately not Katsumi Takashima, but oh well, uh, Benkei debuted, he was much older. I think he was 25 when he debuted, Minora was, was 19 when he debuted. It took Benkei just under a year to win his first Open the Triangle Gate title. But Shun Skywalker and Yuki Oshioka, for as pushed as they have been, have not won titles in their career, and they are both over 1,000 days into their career. L. Lindemann, who debuted in August of 2014, it took him just over 1,000 days to win his first Open the Triangle Gate Championship in 2017. Ryotsu Shimizu, it was 582 days from his debut on May 25th, 2013, to his Triangle Gate win with Dragon Kid and Masaki Mochizuki, on December 28th, 2014. The one that I want to focus on here is the current Open the Dreamgate champion, ATA. He debuted on May 30th, 2011, and it took him 888 days for him to win his first Open the Twin Gate championship with T Hawk on November 3rd, 2013. So you look at Menorah and you look at ATA, and Menorah just had a much better first two years. Granted, he didn't go to Mexico. Granted, he didn't win a king of chop. But I think Kota Minora in his first two years on the roster has assimilated himself far better than Aita has. And when you look at you know, some of his contemporaries, with the exception of Ben K, he's right in line there. Even Kaito Ishida, who I, I accidentally skipped over, current Open the Brave Gate champion, Mike, Ashida's first and only title is that Open the Bravegate Championship. He went 1,515 days from his debut to winning his first title. And I think, just to put it frankly, we've been sleeping on Kota Minora just a little bit.
2: Yeah, um, so the the only person that, that I would offer a thing is Ashida almost broke his neck. So he had a significant time on the shelf and a significant time before they would let him be in that role. Everyone else, I think you're absolutely right, because you look at his contemporaries and the people who have come after him. Strong Machine J, he was going to get a push. He's strong. He's Super Strong Machine's son. Dragon Daya, the heir of the dragon legacy, enough said. Uh, Binkai, he was older. He got kind of like brought along with that. And then it's something that you talked a little bit about Yuki Yoshioka and Shin Skywalker. Shin Skywalker won the rookie ranking tournament last year. He was brought to all Japan before anyone else with Masaki Mochizuki to do the uh, junior tag battle glory. And then the next year is Yuki Oshiyoka with him. So he's not necessarily like they've had him pay his dues on the roster whereas everyone else had opportunities. And then when they said like, okay, this is your opportunity, he's taking the ball run with it. And it's something that he's still, I'm, I'm just now counting back, he's still 21 years old. I don't think he's turned yeah, 22 he's, yet. He, ter- he turns 22, I believe he was born on New Year's Eve. So he'll be 22 at the
0: end of this year.
2: Yeah, no, that's it's something that, like, when you look at that, and it's something that, like, I like looking at, like, how people are when they come in and, like, this. If anything, and something we both kind of cited, the introduction of Kota Minora was a real generation change. Because you look at the people that came after it, to my belief, uh, Dragon Daya is still, if he's not, if he's, I know he's in his 20s, uh, Strong Machine J, I think he's in his 20s as well, but pretty much anyone else after that, Sora Fu was the oldest one there, <laughs> and he's, like, 24. So like he's really like the heir or like the standard bearer of the youth movement you have to start with Koda Med Nora.
0: Yeah, and I think if Menorah came in now and was in that class of twenty twenty and was having those six or eight man tags that we both love so much, we'd be a little bit more on top of this. But again, he debuted by himself and then found himself a unit really, really soon after. So I just wanted to get ahead of this before, you know, post generational warfare, if he's leading a unit, if he's challenging uh, for a singles title, it's just it's one of those things that I think everyone has been a little slow to just realize like, oh, my God, Menorah is really, really good and still only 21 years old. Which is just hard to believe. For the sake of statistics, Mike, uh, Strong Machine J, it took him only 102 days to win his first title. The fastest ever to win a title. The, fa- the fastest ever. Who do you think, and we're talking about the millennials onwards, who do you think was second fastest to win their their ti- their first title from their debut? UT. Yeah. Okay. You nailed that 198 days. UT and I count his Japan landing, not his, his, Dragon Gate Cannon, his actual debut happened in Mexico. I count his Japan landing, but yeah, it took him 198 days to win the Open the Triangle Gate title. Still the only title he's ever won. It was early success and then a laundry list of injuries since, but that is uh, Coach Menorah, That is the Open the Twin Gate Championship. I really like this team of Menorah and Jason Lee. and although I did not like this
2: match as much as you, I really like this match. Yeah, the reason why I know UT for certain before Strong Machine J was that was it was such a big deal that like his debut match was announced, but then uh Ada and T Hawk took him to Mexico. Like that was like a big yeah. thing. So that's why it stuck out to me.
0: And then they came back to
2: Japan and, and wrecked
0: shit to say it properly. And, you know, since then T Hawk at UT. it has been an interesting career for
2: all three of them. Isn't that the truth? Well, you mentioned him just before uh, we had that slight like UT tangent, Strong Machine J and his Triangle Gate team of Strong Machine J, Dragon Die, and Benkei representing the, drag, the Dragon Gate Army lost their titles in their second defense to the R.E.D. Goons. This was Takashi Yoshida casting Sakamoto. And looking really, l- looking really cut and having a really awesome fit for uh, Mexican Independence Day Diamante, Sakamoto got the pin, as we talked about earlier, on Ben K in 16 minutes and eight seconds with the half package pal driver.
0: Mike, this match was so ugly. I mean, that's really, it was a, it was a really good match. I don't know where you stand on it. I went four starts. I okay. loved it.
2: I think you but might it be the was, high person on this match. I went three and a half.
0: It was an ugly match. Strong Machine J came into this match hurt. I mean, he missed recent tapings because, you know, he was had a shoulder injury. There's a, specifically a moment. It looked like he got hurt pretty early on. I think it was on a press land that he took awkwardly because there's a moment where Strong Machine J is kind of hanging out on the apron, and he looks like he's in everybody's way, but he doesn't really move out of the way. And then there's a moment a few minutes afterwards where R.E.D. goes to crowd brawl, and Takashi Yoshida's left without anybody to brawl with. And he kind of starts messing around at the announce table and the camera cuts and you see strong machine J laying on the ground. But I, I don't know. I'm Ben K gets busted open.
2: Strong machine J's hurt. Takashi Yoshida's in this match. And it was still really, really good. This was like a really like brutal match. This was something that Ben K somehow was just taking a lot of sick bumps. I think, I think strong machine J is like seriously hurt to be fair, because like he was pulled off this, this shoulder thing is something he had issues with last year as well this seems to be a recurring thing and it does seem like i mean he came out really bandaged and i kept an eye on his shoulder and did not seem like he was comfortably like as much comfort as you could tell someone who's fully masked didn't look like he was able like to fully like put weight or or things on that shoulder but Binke made this match really into something because he was just doing all the dumb Binke things he wanted to do like doing a huge old spear to the floor and landing on his head. That's why I think he busted his face open case, by the way.
0: That, that, that is what had happened was he took a shoot
2: dive to the floor, essentially, and he paid the price for it. But I think we need, uh, like, I feel like that Ben was the person who really kind of was like carrying this match, which there's two main points I make about this. The big storyline about this match, as we've talked about for months now is dragon Daya has been figured out by R.E.D., this was either going to be the match where R.E.D. continues to have his number or for him to get over that hump. Ben K. took the fall. Kind of, like, that was something that, like, I was like, this is this was, like, the most obvious match on the show and it had to be somehow Dragon Daya playing into the fall and I found that incredibly frustrating. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was a little bit underwhelmed by this match. Like, what, what were your thoughts about, like, having the finish being Ben K. taking the fall and not Dragon Daya, someone who for months they've, since empty arena, since King of Gate, they've made a point of, oh, Dragon Dia, no one else on the roster is able to beat him but R.E.D., but he's not in the fall whatsoever.
0: I'm more annoyed that Ben K took the fall than I'm annoyed that Dragon Dia didn't, if that makes sense. I think Strong Machine J needed to eat the pen, and maybe Mm -hmm. he was supposed to when he just couldn't get up for the half-package pile driver, who knows, but I have said since the start of the year, I've been a little bit Not worried, but just on notice about the way Ben K has been used because he was open the Dreamgate champion at this time last year. And I just I get that he was a champion and he held the belt for a lot of months due to covid. But this reign wasn't necessarily satisfying what I wanted from Ben K. And, you know, great, if he gets the match with Ada, I'm on board, and, and I think it takes, you know, one spear and a, and a power bomb to put Ben K back in the main event team, but I'm just slightly disappointed that this has been his follow-up program after what was a, a really monumentally great Open the Dreamgate run, in my opinion. So, I don't mind Daya not taking the fall here. Personally, I would have liked to have seen this story wrap up and have Daya pin whoever, and then the Gate guys keep the belts, but... You know, Strong Machine J can't stay healthy as we're recording uh, the new cards for the end of September were announced. And Mike, Strong Machine J is not on the show. So I think I would be stunned uh, if he, was. he will. Yeah. So he is uh, out for a seemingly a prolonged period of time. I think it'll be interesting to see if he pops up on the Cork and Hall show in October. If he doesn't pop up there, then I think it's going to be a pretty long term injury. The other thing about this match that I was curious to, to get your take on, and I don't entirely know how to form this question, but I know there's a show, and I, I can't remember, I believe it was either the Gate of Destiny 2008 or Final Gate 2008, and I bring those shows up just to jog your memory. Gate of Destiny was headlined by Shingo versus Susumu, and Final Gate was headlined by Shingo versus Doi. And I remember hearing at one point... There was blowback from the Dragon Gate fans after one of those shows because a bunch of guys got hurt, and the matches kind of reminded me of this, where although they were good, they seemed to fall apart in the middle somewhere, and the crowd turned against it. They said, you know, it's just—it's not the Dragon Gate style. It's a little bit too violent. Do you remember what show that
2: might have been? Okay, so 2008, Gate Destiny, or Final Gate? I'm going to pull up these cards here. I
0: feel like it was one of those shows. Cause I think it happened. It, it would have had to have happened while Shingo was on top. And, you know, specifically, I know the final gate, 2008 show was Shingo versus Doi, which is a really good match. If you haven't seen it, but there was also that cyber Kong and Yamato versus Shima and Liger match. And Shima worked that match incredibly injured. I, I mm-hmm. don't think he worked two months prior to the match. And I don't think he worked two months after the match. It was just kind of that isolated period for Shima where we were still dealing with a neck injury. So I believe it was one of those shows, but I just wanted to bring that up as I don't I don't see any major backlash coming from this match. But watching it and seeing the dominoes fall the way they did, it made me think of that scenario. And I just couldn't remember what show it was.
2: Yeah, I don't remember either. I'm looking at this final gate show. And this is kind of a brutal show, to be fair. Yeah,
0: the the final in 2008 show is an ugly show. Whereas Gate of Destiny, if you if you get past Darkside Hulk, uh, the Cyber Kong and Yamato versus Tanazaki and Doi Twin Gate match is great. There's that really famous Yoshino versus Dragon Kid Brave Gate match, and then Shingo Susumu in the main event, which was strong.
2: Yeah, no, um, yeah, because that's Darkside Hulk versus Dio and then the. Uh unit must disband versus title match that i i had to be final gate because i remember being so high on that one and then maybe it was me with my uh tozawa blinders thinking oh no this match happened on the show this was like the most important thing that Tozawa's done in his career at this point (laughs) that i hold it high Uh, it's interesting though because like the one person that like i came out of this match like firmly like on whatever ballot i may do this year i'm chiseling it in there the most improved wrestler in the year is diamante like oh god yeah I came out of this match like, yeah, I mean, you have Takashi Yoshida who is Takashi Yoshida. You have Kazuma Sakamoto who he works in Dragon Gate, but he also works in Dragon Gate because he's much bigger than everyone else and has like burst energy and has like an interesting offense. Like his weird underhook knee, I feel like should be his finisher all the time because it always looks sick as hell. And yeah, I think there's one, an argument that could be made
0: that Sakamoto was last year's most improved wrestler. Whereas this year, I think Diamante there's, I mean, there's no one close. I mean, People are going to want to say MJF or jungle boy. And I think they have cases there, but nobody has made the leap that Diamante has of being actively bad last year and now becoming legitimately very good. And it's just weird to to think that he and Sakamoto are a really fun pairing. You mentioned the underhook knee that Sakamoto does. That's like the perfect WWE finisher. I mean, if he had that on, on the main roster on NXT just given the nature of their house style to the drag gate house style. Although one can make the argument that WWE has veered towards just a shitty version of the drag gate house style. That's a podcast <laughs> for a different time. Uh, I think that that knee would jump off the page, but yes, to your point, Diamante has just improved so much. I mean, at some point he and dragon Daya have such good chemistry together that they really need to give them a match three or match four singles match on an Osaka show or a cork at hall. And just let them go out there and just do weird lucha stuff because they work so well together that they need to be given some sort of high profile opportunity. I think that would be uh, just tremendous
2: for all involved. And it's something that like he's not only like kind of acclimated and improved himself. Mm -hmm. You could see his confidence. Like his confidence is very evident throughout this. And the fact that he came in here wearing like he just had like he was wearing he had a singlet on for the first time underneath it, and he does stuff like. This uh, hip toss 450 is the, for lack of better terms, just outstanding. It's something that's like, okay, originally coming in here as a guy that Ultimo knew. Now he looks like an absolute star, and I can't wait to see him each time he's in the ring.
0: I completely agree. This match worked for me. I, I recognize that I might be high on it. I know before we started recording, you sent me your star ratings. I didn't look at them super closely. But if I remember correctly, you were super high on the match before this.
2: Yeah, so this was the special singles match. It was KZ versus Naruki Doi rematch from... The February seventh, in which Naruki Doi defended his Dream Gate title against KZ. KZ got the win here in eleven minutes and thirty-two seconds with a Arami, which is his seated, uh, like I don't even know how to really—it's it. like a grapevine seated, a full Nelson where he cranks back—is the best way to describe it. I love this match, and I think the reason why I might be much higher in this. I immediately identified what kind of match this was. This was a king of gate match that they just had in 11 minutes, and for that, I absolutely loved it. But it's also something that KZ style doing this, these kind of matches, greatly appeals to me. Where I feel like that it could be missing a little bit for others, so that's why I ended up going four and a half stars in this match. This was
0: such a weird match. I mean, the structure of this match. You you called a Camgate match and and I think that's accurate because when we were watching live, the consensus was, oh, this is their version of a G1 sprint. But it was it was such big moves right off the bat. I mean, five minutes into the match, not even, and Doy hits the Doy 5s off of the apron to the floor, and then Doi and K Z have the best pound-out spot of the entire year. And The G1 is going on right now, and you will see a lot of 19 counts with guys sliding in the ring to not get counted out. None of them will be as entertaining or as well done as KZ getting back in the ring at the 20 count. I mean, he cut off 20 to get back in the ring. It was so incredibly well done. I, I, I It was just so weird, and I, and I will give JoJo Remy credit. JoJo said, Mike, I want to know what you think about this. This is the type of match for people that don't watch Dragon Gate. This is what they think every Dragon Gate singles match is like.
2: Yeah, no, a lot of people who don't understand that there is a style that changes with singles matches. Some might be very different from others. They have the misconception that a Dragon Gate singles match is just moves, moves, moves. When, with, if anything, there could be very slow Dragon Gate matches. they can be very technically adept Dragon Gate matches. And there could be all out sprints like this one.
0: Yeah, no, this was this was literally moves, moves, moves. KZ got that new submission over. And then the finish, the, the finish was that new submission, but it almost, maybe it was just the way he had it locked in. It almost looked like a modified version of that new submission. Like it was uh, something that Jay and Ho-Ho reacted to on commentary. It was just, it was different. It, it seemed to contort Doi in, in maybe a slightly different way than it had even earlier in the match when he had it locked in. I initially was going three and three quarters on this match, but again, I took a day. I just didn't have time from the airing of the show. I went 24 hours without starting my review just because I just didn't have time to do it. And thinking about it, how ambitious and how intense this match was, I I can't not give this four stars. I mean, this was a great match. It was just, I've never seen anything work quite like this where it was so deadly... And so full of bomb throwing from the start. I mean, this is paced like a Tomohiro Ishii match just with two junior heavyweights involved.
2: Yeah, and really we should focus in, just like one second as you mentioned this, the best countout tease I've seen since I can remember. Like uh,
0: Mike, I thought I thought it
2: was going to end in a countout, and yeah. then when KZ got back in the ring and he ate another
0: Bakatari sliding kick, I thought they were going to squash KZ, and I would have been so on board with that had that happened. KZ, this guy that has all the momentum, if he would have been jobbed out in three minutes, I would have went four and a half because that that was that would have been such a curveball. I really thought up until he kicked out of that that second Bakatari that he was going to lose this match. And then, you know, he fought back. And, and by the time he kicked out of that, I, I knew he had to win this match or else he would have been greatly hurt by the amount of offense that he took in this match. But it was just to your, I, I cut you off, but it was so well done.
2: Yeah, no, it's just something that I, it, as soon as I saw like them just going for it in the first muscular bomb tease within the first minute of the match, I was like, oh, we're, we're, they're going for this style here. And I get how people are, about like Dragon Gate, like sprint style, but I feel like that this is one of the best work sprint style matches I've seen in a long time. And it, you had you had, and it was built up so well. The idea that KZ knew what Oda City General Gymnasium means to Naruki Doi and him coming for the crown, and Naruki Doi going like, "No, I am Mister Odaku. This is who I am. You can't stop this." And you're just getting like some of the tremendous like prickish. Uh, nuruki doi because we, we talk a lot about kz here but Nuruki doi just turning it up just deciding to be an absolute asshole for 12 minutes was just was just something that i felt was magical and you know it's one of those matches that again i understand people being down on it because i think that this encapsulates all that they hate about dragon gate but as someone that loves everything that there is at dragon gate this played exactly into what i wanted out of this match and that's why i was so high on it
0: well, it also fit the tone, because these guys have had... This is their third big match in the Tokyo area in the last two years. They had a King of Gate match last year that headlined Cork and Hall. They had the Cork and Hall Dreamgate match this year. And now they have this match in a building that Doi has a gimmick in, because he's been so deadly here. This is the right match for the scenario. This is not a spot fest. This is a well-told story.
2: Yeah, no. So I feel like that, that was truly exceptional here. And that really was... Other than the opener, that was the business end of the card. The match three was the, a unaffiliated trios match. Ultimo, Shuji Kondo, Masaki Mochizuki against Don Fuji, Ginki Horikuchi, and Ryo Saito. I thought this was, uh, I, I knew this was going to kind of be the, the comedy match. And I mean, the furthest minute, they had Sakura Chikawa walk out the uh, Torimon gun team.
0: Yeah, people like this more than I did. I, I'm just so into Kondo right now. That I'm a little bit bummed that he was in the comedy match. I mean, I get it. I, the the one spot that involved Kondo that made this whole thing worth it was Kondo going to do the hair whip spot on Genki Horiguchi and grabbing nothing because Horiguchi is bald. I thought that was that was a brilliant comedy spot mm-hmm. that just judging from the 20 years of history we had i i would like to put money on that being stalker chikawa's idea i think he is the comedy road agent equivalent of an arne anderson or a pat patterson and i'm choosing <laughs> to run with that narrative until somebody tells me i'm incorrect but i was i was bummed that condo was in I, it was a fine comedy match i just wanted condo doing more on this show
2: yeah 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 it, it's it, like i went three and a quarter and I thought that, that for what it was, it was very well done. It just for what it was. Like, I'm with you. I'm ready for, like, the Power Fighter of T2P to break out here and having him in these matches here. And especially, like, you have him with Masaki Mochizuki. That's a whole bunch of angry guys. And Ultimo decided to be a little bit prickish, too. That was fun, but just was not necessarily what I was hoping that they would be doing on this show. And I think that's why it, it had a very – it had a ceiling in this match, and it, it basically hit that ceiling for
0: Mike, I think you're a little bit more of a realist when it comes to the Dragon Gate booking. And I, I just mentioned I'm so high on Kondo. And I was talking with someone during the show about how great it would be if we got a Shuji Kondo open the Dreamgate challenge at some point. And Kondo's a guy who, within the Dragon system, he was the uh, British Commonwealth junior heavyweight champion at one point. He's a two time UWA World Trios champion. And he lost in the finals, the main event of Kobe World 2004, for the UDG title belt, which lasted all of one show. Uh, Mike, is there any possibility that whether it's against Eita or someone
2: else, we get a Shuji Kondo open the Dreamgate match down the road? I think that it can happen. I don't think it's going to be a Big Five show.
0: No, no, it would be a it would be a Corken Hall defense or a Champion Gate defense.
2: Right, yeah, or even Memorial Gate maybe mm. or Gate of Origin, you know, like that like the B tier shows. It Gate of like...
0: Origin would be exciting. If they want to run Ada versus Kondo at Gate of Origin this year, they have my attention.
2: And I mean, I think that that's a way of getting Ada enough wins for he had, like that also assumes he gets their Kobe world at that point. But That is true. Yeah, uh I just think that for, like, where he is, as much as I would really love a a Dreamgate run out of him, I can see that looking at the roster and what they need to be doing, looking not just into 2021 but into 2026 and 2031, that they have to get, like, the younger guys to a certain point, and putting a belt on Kondo is, I think, unreal.
0: No, he should never win the title, but I I, I would like to see him challenge for it at some point.
2: Yeah, and and I think, like, a good early-year defense or – a champion gate defense and uh, edion 2 makes sense there like i could totally see a world where that happens but i do think that that is the ceiling for kondo as a singles wrestler in dragon gate twin gate triangle gate no no issue saying that but seeing him as like the getting the singles title shot i think that that's where that the ceiling lies
0: look if i if i had the pencil the proverbial dragon gate pencil i i would have to have lee and Minora versus Fuji and Kondo at some point. I would have to, because their chemistry is so sickeningly good together. I don't know if that'll happen, but I, I do I do think there's room within the tone of the company to give Kondo a really big match or two that he probably doesn't win. I mean, he could be a Triangle Gate champion for sure, but I would like to see him get that, that one or two really big match.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I think that that's... I, I think that there is a world where that happens. I mean, Susumu got a title shot and Susumu is older. So I can see it. Uh,
0: what are the odds that uh, Kaisuke Akuda gets a open the dream gate match before
2: Shuji Kondo does? I mean, I, I I like the segue here as the master of segue. I appreciate what you're doing here, but I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say relatively low, relatively yes, low before that. But... I,
0: I don't see Akuda being a dream gate guy, but my God, I would like that as well.
2: And speaking of him, not, not, Nice assist here. Nice assist here. I, I, hey, I, I
0: do what I can, brother.
2: I, I mean, really, this was an alley-oop, and you threw it up for me, and I'm just dishing it home. Uh, we're, who do... we're, uh, Mike, who's your basketball team? I was going to say we're a Jameer-Nelson-Dewight-Howard combo. I don't know why I thought you were an a Orlando Magic guy. Is that true? Oh, God, no. I grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth during the Dirk days, man. Dirk oh, was... oh, I'm hitting you with that Nash-Dirk combo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're doing the behind-the-back to me, and I'm doing the fall 3. That's a, that's how it's going here. <laughs> Dirk does not dunk. <laughs> <laughs> that very very true yeah so talking about okuda he was the one who won the fall in the second match on the show this was an eight-man tag we had yuzushi kanda kakatora gamma and hoho loon go up against the dragon gate team of KSK okuda problem dragon monday ryu punch tomaga and ut okuda got the win on kanda with the lights out gts in eight minutes and 30 seconds
0: this was a a fine opener. I'm Mike. I'm ready for Akuda versus Ashida. Let's do it. We got yeah.
2: we got the we got the Maria defense that we're about to talk about. Let's let's bring on Akuda versus Ashida. As much as I love this vine, that that's dudes going against suits. There's really not. I mean, this was just like, just like there. I mean, got everyone on the card. A whole lot of punch. You know. I mean, UT worked a good deal of this match, but I mean, it just was kind of there. I went two and three quarters. It existed.
0: All right. Let's uh, let's talk about the uh, the opener proper because it was much better.
2: The opener proper was the Open the Brave Gate championship match as Kaido Ishida made a point of that Maria is a comedy wrestler, so this match would be the opener. Kaido Ishida makes his fourth successful offense of the Open the Brave Gate title. It does seem like he will go from Gate of Destiny to Gate of Destiny as Open the Brave Gate champion, defeating Maria in 13 minutes and 45 seconds with a Tiger suplex hold, which is his finisher, by the way. Did you know that, KS?
0: uh I feel like I've written that down a time or two. That kaido Ishida's finisher is the Tiger Suplex hold.
2: Yep, yep, yep. Uh, it it, w- it was a great opener, you know. Like the, this match, they start hot. They did the trope of of Ishida pantsing Maria, and instead of like playing after for comedy, it just fired Maria up more. And just like was just like throwing bombs, and a lot of Maria took a lot of gross bumps in this match. Like, it, like I totally get like now that we're like going down the card, how you can say like this is very much like an ugly card in the in like the looking at the matches and the bumps taken because like maria took a whole lot this had a bunch of red sleeves as one is want to do especially in comparison to the rest of the show this one other than the main event had the most red rudo shenanigans here but i mean like it had issues but like it just like really kind of played together but it went back to the core of it and i feel like that this was a tremendous opener if they want to have Kaido Ishida specials opening up every big show where he just has a quarter hour of just ruining folks, I'm okay with. I went three and three quarters. Oh my
0: God, the near falls in this match. I, Mike, you you did not watch live, but you went in unspoiled. Was there
2: any time where you thought maybe Maria's going to win this match? Well, like the problem was was that uh, Maria hit the Nira Lucci, like five times. So, <laughs> and, and, and wasn't going. I, I did buy into her doing the European clutch. When she like did that the bridging pen, I that was a near fall that I really bought into. But as soon as like the second Naraluchi got kicked out of I was pretty certain that it was gonna be Ishida winning. But maybe that was me going like, Okay, they have to do Ishida versus Okuda. We have to get through this, get through Ishida Okuda (laughs) and that's how it is. There's a
0: string of three near falls in a row in this match where she does the European clutch, which I really bought into when Ashita kicks out. She hits her crucifix driver for a deep two count, mm-hmm. and then she hits that move again, and Yo pulls the referee out of the ring. And that kind of gives Ashita the moment he needs to, to gain his bearings, uh, kick Maria in the head with a, with a garbage pail on her head, and then get the win with the Tiger suplex hold. I, I was I was losing my mind on these near falls. I did not think Maria could win, but the way they built this match, I was going, oh my God, this could really happen. It was an excellent, an excellent big match Maria performance. And like you said, Mike, it was so refreshing to have a big Dragon Gate show. And I'm not even criticizing them for what they normally do, but it was such a cool change of pace to have this show start with a Kaito Ishida open the Brave Gate match. Rather than Akuda, Problem Dragon, Punch Tamanaga, and UT coming out there like the gang of dorks that they are. And granted, they're lovable dorks. I like them all, but, you know, that's what they are. It was it was so nice to see this show start off on such a high note. This was a a phenomenal match. I went four and a quarter on it. I loved this. And, and Kaito Ishida is He's one or two defenses away from really having an all-time great Brave Gate run. He's not uh, hes not near the level of Pac in 2011, but no one ever will be. But if we're talking the, the legitimately great Brave Gate runs, it, you give me one more sheet of defense, and he has to be in that conversation.
2: Yeah, I think with one more defense, he's up there with the Akira Tozawa Eternal Reign. You know I mean? He's yes, very I think that's, that's a very fair comp, yeah. And with the way that things are going, he could lose the belt in that defense, and I put that up there. You know, like, it's it's not necessarily him, like, carving up notches. It's just, like, him really putting forth the effort on that. I've looked at, like, my my rankings. I looked through my notebook. He's probably my Dragon Gate Most Outstanding Wrestler 2020, and I don't think that that's an, a very controversial thing to say. And it, I've been thoroughly enjoying this title Ring, and I'm excited to see who's next. Could they maybe have enough faith in UT staying healthy that we get UT versus Ishida? Because if so, I'm here for it.
0: Yeah, it's there. there's a lot of... I, I can't get a feel for the direction that Ashida goes from here, but just the Brave Gate title in general is just so interesting right now with Ashida holding the belt, and I think the direction that they go post Ashida, I'm very into all of it.
2: Oh, absolutely. I'm totally on board with you on that. And then we had a match zero. This was unannounced. It was Hio and Kendoku Bune going to a 10-minute draw. When I watched this live, I thought that... Uh, somehow Kabune got the pinfall or, like, got the submission at 10 minutes. It's like, oh, good for Kabune, but apparently it was a 10-minute draw. Unsup- I mean, good chemistry here, I thought. Heo, I feel like, works better when he's with people of his class and of that style. He always seems to be, like, when he's tagging with Ishida, he more, like, morphs into kind of like a mini Ishida in a lot of ways. And, you know, putting Kabune out here, opening up a big show is a big, is a big feather in that guy's cap and further cements himself as the leader of the class of 2020
0: we talked at the top of the show about how good Jay was on commentary during the cage match weirdly, I think this was his second best match on the show behind the table where it's just him at this point, he's got no partner, and he did a really good job of establishing the idea that Hyo wanted to come in the ring, drop this rookie on the mat, pin him, and leave. And Kabune lasted five minutes. By the end of the match, Kabune has Hyo locked in a submission as time expires, and Hyo left really frustrated as a result. I thought Jay did a great job of telling that story on commentary.
2: Yeah, and I mean, it's something that I mean, he's several classes ahead of Kabune, so he should be frustrated, like not being able to take out this kid who's only debuted eight months ago in 10 minutes. So I thought like, that that was a really effective job as well. And that was Dangerous Gate, and a show that I still think is the show of the year. We spent an hour and a half talking about it, but we knew we were this week. This was the big show of the week. And in case any other last thoughts of uh, about Dangerous Gate before we kind of start wrapping this up and looking ahead and then doing some... Uh, just general like podcast business.
0: Uh, it's a show of the year contender. I think it's the best top to bottom show I've seen outside of the Wrestle Kingdom shows this year. And I, I encourage if, if for some reason you've listened to the, all of the show and you haven't seen the show at the very least, watch the cage match. I think every wrestling fan should sit down and enjoy themselves. a a cage match once a year. So I highly recommend them. Mike, before we break down the September 26th Kobe Sambo Hall show, which was announced as we're recording this, would you like to briefly discuss the Masato Yoshino Homecoming show that is still on the Dragon Gate Network, if you are listening to this
2: the day it comes out or the day after this show comes out? Yeah, so this was on September 19th. This was the final show before uh, Dangerous Gate. This was Masada Yoshino's 20th anniversary Homecoming show and you know we were kind of like talking last week about the show and be like okay this would be kind of like a fun show to kind of see and just have like interesting things on this show as well and if you haven't seen a homecoming show in dragon gate it's worth checking out if only for like the pomp and circumstances i'd be surprised if they don't have nara for doi on the network as well but this was this was yoshino's last homecoming show i don't think he's going to prolong the retirement until next september just running down the results uh opener was a Mon versus dragon gate six-man tag team match sachi Hoko Boy making tape for the first time since the reunion show as he teamed with Rio saito and don fuji they got the win on yosuke samaria jason lee and punch Tomonaga. match two was a Mon versus dragon gate singles match gigi Gucci got the win with the backslide from heaven which is another thing on benke which is another thing about benke dropping falls like with how he was positioned last year he's not taking the backslide and i thought like that was kind of a decent match. Match 3 was the reuniting of the original Jimmys, Yokosuka Chome as Suzuma, Yokosuka, and Kagatora teamed up to go against Kota Minora and Dragon Daya. Dragon Daya got the win here with a Casadora on Kagatora. Match 4 was a trio's Dragon Gate versus RED. Keisuke Akuda, Kai, and UT defeating Diamante, Kazuma Sakamoto, and Hyo. This was a D-Cube due to RED interference, and they just kind of just went into ut when he locked in the bn yave on Hyo. semi-main kondo and konda versus yamato and kz kz got the one with the running elbow smash and the main event was the Torimon versus red eight man tag masato yoshido ultimo dragon Ruki doi and dragon kid defeated the red team of ada bb hulk and big r shimizu along with Kaido shida uh yoshino got the pen with the tora Bolina crucifix in 18 minutes and six seconds the last two matches were were like three and a half star solid a single cam during eight matches if you're going to try to watch this watch like the opening 20 minutes where like they do like an they have dragon dia's th- uh musician who does his theme come out and she did like a little mini set and had dancers come out and dance it dragon dia's theme and then the main event yeah i mean it's 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 tough in these eras where, like, you can't have the banner waivers. You can't have any any streamers. Strangate doesn't do many streamers anymore anyways. And you can't really cheer for this, but you could feel the energy of this hometown crowd getting to see their their favorite native son one last time. And after the show wrapped up, Yoshino did the go-home and everyone did the Sol Naciente pose. It was a fun show, but not necessarily a show that's essential, and especially... You know, I mean, if you're watching this now, if you're, like, looking at stuff to watch now, it's nice to see the Homecoming show by me, and you have Kai still on Dragon Gate Army of Bear, Shimizu still in R.E.D., so, I mean, it's out of continuity in a lot of ways if you're just picking up here. And that was the only other show that made tape in case when this came out here, you wanted to surprise me with these cards, so take it away as we look to wrap up September.
0: Mike, I'll give you the September 26th show, which will air on the Gate Network. Uh, we've got cars through the end of September. These are shows that won't make tape. It's some homecoming shows. Uh, these matches, other than the Takedo Kamai show on September 29th, which has a Ryotsu Shimizu versus Dragon Daya match, which I would like to see, and uh, Kamai in the semi-main event. It's Doin Susumu against Takedo Kamai and Kento Kabune. It doesn't look like there's a ton worth noting on the Dragon Gate house shows. But September 26th, Kobe Sambo Hall, this show will air live on the Dragon Gate Network. An eight-man tag team match. Naruki Doi, Dragon Kid, Gamma, and ho Loon against Kaito Ishida, Takashi Yoshida, Diamante, and Kazuma Sakamoto. Match two, I like this one a lot. It is Kota Minora and Jason Lee versus Kento Kobune and Takedo Kamai. Match three is a six-man. It's Ultimo, Dragon, Masato Yoshino, and Susumi Yokosuka against Yosuke Santamaria, Dragon Daya, and Jimmy. Match four, and we will get into the history of this match in just a second, Ryotsu Shimizu versus Punch Tamanaga. We close <laughs> out the versus card. Tamanaga? <laughs> Indeed, my friend. It is <laughs> Shimizu versus Tamanaga. There's a okay. ton of history behind that match, that I'll explain it in just a second. We round out the card. Semi-main event, K and Kaisuke Yakuta. First is Shuji Kondo and Genki Horiguchi. Remember, Ben K thinks that Kaisuke Akuda is the one under the RED mask, so there could possibly be some friendly fire there. In your main event, Dragon Gate six man tag team match, Dragon Gate versus RED, Yamato, KZ, and UT against Ata, BB
2: Hulk, and Kai. Mike, what jumps off the page to you there? I mean, really, everything from match two on has something to bite your teeth into. Like the opener, I mean, the opener is the opener, but I mean, Liam Minora making a uh, non title match against the two guys at the front of the Class of 2020. Hella stoked for that. Uh, the Trios match, gonna see Jimmy mix it up with Yoshino and uh, Dre- and Ultimo and Yokosuka. That's really exciting. I'm skipping over match four so we'll go back to that in a second. But then, like, the best bros, I mean, like, there's a lot of. Benkei, uh, he-, he has a strong suspicion that, I mean, that Kesuke Akuda is Yellow Demon Mask. And then this main event case. This is something that if you are new to Dragon Gate, we should explain to why they have these trios set up as stuff, as such. So, the original members of one of the units that became became Dragon Gate Army was Tribe Vanguard. And in this match, you have Yamato, the former leader of Tribe Vanguard. KZ, someone who was in Tribe Vanguard for a very long time, then left after he had his first title shot to build up natural vibes. UT, who joined Tribe Vanguard when he first getting healthy. Ada, who has no link whatsoever. BB Hulk, who was the number two for Tribe Vanguard up until its dissolution. And Kai, the person that joined Tribe Vanguard when it was needed most, when Hulk was out, when they lost KZ, when UT was around. So, very interesting main event there.
0: Yeah, I had not even put together the Tribe Vanguard connection, uh, but you nailed it there, Mike. Tribe Vanguard, a unit that I would often like to forget about, Whereas the Dia Hearts unit that was once led by BB Hulk that also had, uh, was KZ in Dia Hearts? Yes, he was. Okay, I, I knew I was right. Because, yes, because he had the, uh, these shiny overalls that I liked. I am hashtag team overalls <laughs> uh, in case anybody questions me on it. A big fan of the overalls. Hikarushita looks awesome at the overalls. That is canon. But I am a Dia Hearts defender. I feel like, and I was going to do this at the end of the cage match, but these, these cards came out and I thought, Oh my God, an even better opportunity to do this at the end of the show to sort of refresh people's memory on the origin of the big R Shimizu character, because it just so happens that the sleaziness of big R Shimizu coincides with the exit of Shingo Takagi from this company. And I maintain that from the start of big R that was a character created to eventually get a huge singles match win on Shingo, and it never happened. And Once Shingo left the company, we saw that character change. So we need to go back in time. We need to go to October 9th, 2014, which is relevant to this Punch-Tamanaga singles match, because on October 9th, 2014, Cork and Hall singles match, and it it's match two on the show, Punch-Tamanaga defeats Ryotsu Shimizu, not Big R at this point, he defeats Ryotsu Shimizu, after the match, Matt Blanky comes out. They steal his pants, and I will read from the iHeartDG translation. Matt Blanky steals Shimizu's pants, prompting a save by Daiharts. Mochizuki said that although Ryutsu was a part of Fujiheya, Fuji was busy preparing uh, for his first cork and main event in quite some time, so they came to help. They attempted to comfort him, but he responded by yelling at each of them, saying that he didn't need their pity, he needed pants. <laughs> and then he ran off dumbfounded. Uh, I'm sorry, he ran off leaving Dia Hearts dumbfounded. We flash forward a few weeks to October 28th, 2014. This is why the Big Shimizu in Shingo, the Big R Shimizu character in Shingo were so closely linked. This show, which was from the Hyogo Prefectural Bunker Gym, which... I know this show aired because I vividly remember this match. I don't remember that building being taped all that much, but there is a singles match between Shingo and the newly christened Big R Shimizu. He joins Die Hearts. He comes out in a singlet that night and they make a big deal out of Shingo finishing him with a pumping bomber. It's a great 10 minute sprint. And I remember taking that at the time and having discussions with people thinking, okay, five years six years seven years from now we are getting a shimizu versus shingo singles match built around shimizu kicking out of the pumping bomber and then eventually defeating shinga now part of that might have just been fan lore who knows but i genuinely think that was the initial direction of the shimizu character and given the circumstances that surrounded shingo it obviously couldn't happen but we are getting a true to form return ryotsu shimizu versus punch
2: Tamanaga. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic because he's saying he's using his rookie theme. And it was like this really like jazzy theme. Do you remember? the Oh, I love it.
0: Oh, I love it. It it is on the network under it. It's uh, Shimizu's debut from the You Were Young Then series. Shimizu versus Uha Nation uh, is a match on the Dragon Gate Network. It will make you appreciate the bigger Shimizu theme and it will make you angry at just how little Apollo Crews. Uh, has done, because Uha Nation comes across like the most talented man of professional wrestling in that match.
2: I mean, we were all young once. So was he. <sighs> Hard to believe. Yeah, no, this this Kobe show is really... I like a lot of directions here, when when really the only thing I can say is, oh, the, the opener match, I mean, that's an opener, and everything else has a lot of interesting things going on here, plus the re-debut of Ryotsu Shimizu. There's a lot of things going here, and I mean, it's going to be like this... Pretty much, because I think it's a later Corkin in October than usual. Am I right? Uh, the October Corkin, yeah, it's in the middle of the month. Let me quickly
0: dive towards their schedule just to figure out when exactly that show is. The October Corkin is going oh, to be the on 7th. Wednesday, October 7th. So it's, it's not as late as we thought. And yeah. then from there, it is a Kyoto show on the 11th, a Sambo Hall show on the 17th. And that looks like it is the end. It doesn't look like we have a ton that's going to make tape unless they decide to film one of the homecoming shows, likely the DOI 20th anniversary yeah. on the 25th. But it doesn't look like we've got a ton in the back half of October. So just something to keep in mind as we go forward.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they will have that doubleheader and across Fukuoka, our favorite venue in the world, our favorite show that they stop and record. Remember, that's kind of the Kyushu Pro match there. So that'll be interesting. Oh, man. yes,
0: that's right. That's October 4th, yes.
2: So I... Just look at their schedule, I'd be stunned if they don't end up t- taping Nara. But, I mean, they could have said, okay, we get one homecoming year and Yoshino's retiring, so we're taking Yoshino's. So, man, I could see it going either way there. But that is our look ahead in case, unless you've got anything else, I'm ready to bring it in for landing and get out of here.
0: Mike, I am ready to land the plane. That is Dangerous Gate 2020 and the upcoming Kobe Sabo Hall show. Draghi has continued to prove that they are the best wrestling company in the year 2020. A rare bright spot
2: in the year of 2020. Those are my thoughts for this week's episode. Yep, and I it's full steam ahead. I mean, October, there's a little bit of a build-up, but then we get into November, and that's going to be an insane month, and then everything ends at Final Gate this year. It's going to be very interesting. We're going to get the Unmasking of Yellow Demon math on, Mask on the 7th, so we have that look forward to in October. And then just to see how everything shakes up, Like we'll see Kai as a heel in R.E.D., we'll see the debut of Ryosu Shimizu, and we'll see what... The future lies ahead for uh, Masato Yoshino. It's going to be a real cool stuff. I'm looking forward to it, Mike. Yep, and that's going to do it for this episode of Open Open the Voice Gate. You can follow Case on Twitter at underscore in your case. You can follow me on Twitter at Fujiheya. That's Fujiheya with two eyes, like Don Fuji. And follow us at the podcast account at Open Voice Gate. Before Case, I'm Mike, and we'll catch you next time. On Open the Voice Gate.